Hi, I'm Daryl Bailey. Thank you for tuning in to our Wednesday Bible study. Uh, Wednesday, November the 8th, 2023, the 24th of Chess Fan, 5784 of the Hebrew calendar. As we continue on in our study of the book of the Gospel of John, we call the series The Identity or the Deity of Jesus. Here, we started out in John chapter 1, how God comes to man in verses 1 through 51. Here in John chapter 2, we look at this second chapter covering verses 1 through 12, the beginning of signs. Now, we see that the Gospel of John, Jesus performs his very first miracle. This miracle, even though that there was a great need at a marriage for wine, even though the embarrassment, the greatest picture behind this miracle is that the disciples, that the few that Jesus had chosen, they needed to see the, a miracle that our Savior would perform that would amaze them. And so Jesus did everything according to the Heavenly Father. He never did anything on his own, and he didn't step out on his own authority just to change water into wine, just to please these folks at this wedding. It was a need, and it was something that was asked. But remember, Mary is under the authority, just like every one of us is, of the Holy Spirit. And uh, nothing can get ahead of God's plan. Mary is not to be worshipped, but our Lord and Savior is. Mary was a wonderful virgin that was used to be able to take our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but she's not uh, one that should be worshipped like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because that's exactly how the Bible has it. A lot of people get things right out of hand when they begin to do things like that, but the Bible teaches that no one is to be worshipped except our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We can only come by the way of the cross. And when you get at the foot of the cross, that's where the crossing begins. There is no one else that can do what Jesus can. Mary can't do it. None of the disciples can do it. Only Jesus is the one that can bring a miracle in the making for our lives. And so here's a joyous occasion of a wedding. And Jesus's mother, Mary, asked something of our Lord and Savior. And he says, my time is not at hand. Now, what he's saying is, it's not my will to do, but the Father's. And this miracle, even though that it took care of the need at the wedding, the greatest blessing that came out of this was it was a miracle for the disciples to see what Jesus could do the very first thing that would give glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to invite everyone to come out and be with us this Sunday at Bethel Crossroads on behalf of Pastor Keith Dempsey. Welcome. We'd love to have you. Our Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. morning worship at 11. And our Kids for Christ Wednesday night and adult Bible study uh, out at the Fellowship Hall in the old part of the church at 7 o'clock. Come and join us in our study in the book of, of John. And so we're located at 450 Iron Hill Road, Taylorsville, Georgia, 30178. Remember, what are you doing this Sunday? The Bible encourages us. It says in the book of Hebrews, and let us 
consider one another, provoke or to stir up unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting, in other words, encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. We'd love to have you. Come and join us if you're not already involved in a church somewhere. Now, we're reminded of the time frame that of these days of Jesus's ministry, that first day in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, here we were talking about God comes to man. And here the Pharisees, uh, as uh, John the Baptist begins to explain to them what he's doing by coming on the scene of baptizing Jews in the Jordan River at the very spot where Joshua crossed over to receive the promises of God and how that Jews were never baptized, but John the Baptist was doing things that would get their attention. In John chapter 1, verses 29 down to verse 34, the second day, we see the people and the events of the baptism of Jesus. Then that third day, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, two of John's disciples, they come by and hear the testimony that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that John says, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandals. And then that fourth day, John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51, Philip and Nathaniel, uh, and the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, when we see this on this daytime, as John speaks to the delegation from Jerusalem about his ministry on that first day, that's found in John chapter 1. That second day, John publicly introduces Jesus. He describes the events that have taken place at his baptism some weeks before. Remember, the synoptics uh, uh, goes into this, and it begins to explain that when Jesus was baptized, he was taken away 40 days into the wilderness to be tempted uh, of the devil, just like to be tested as the paschal lamb that would go into the temple. One would be sacrificed in the morning, one in the evening, that it would go through 73 different types of inspection to make sure there were no blemishes and that there was nothing, uh, no uh, uncleanliness or blame upon that lamb, that it would be without blemish and spot. And that's exactly how Christ, when he went into the wilderness after his baptism, that he was found that there was nothing wrong with him. He was perfect. Even by Pilate himself later on, he says, I find no fault in this man. He washed his hands. Well, we see that third day, John the Baptist points out Jesus to two of his disciples and they follow him, spending the day with him and they begin uh, bringing Simon to meet him. And then the fourth day, uh, we see Philip and Nathaniel, they meet Jesus. It brings us on into that first day that was silent that second day that was silent. And then in John chapter two, that third day, Jesus and the disciples attend a wedding in the Canaan of Galilee. Now, the other three synoptic uh, gospels give an account of that temptation with verifying degrees of detail that John does not mention. Instead, he begins with the testimony of John the Baptist, seeing the events of the baptism of Jesus as a flashback, as told by John the Baptist here, we look and we realize that it brings us to a question, why does John's gospel tell us nothing of the temptation of Jesus? It's because that event is not central to John's theme. 
He's presenting Jesus as the Son of God, and God cannot be tempted. And so the Gospel of John rewrites a different version that is not in conflict with none of the synoptics. It's just he goes into more details of more sermons. He doesn't deal with all the parables. He doesn't deal with all of the other issues that the synoptics go into. And so we see our focus of the events that John the Baptist gives testimony about himself and about Jesus. Again, that he speaks to the delegation from Jerusalem about his ministry in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. And John publicly induces Jesus, describes the events that took place at least 41 days earlier at his baptism. And uh, and then also we look and we, we're reminded uh, that um, when we look at this, when we get into uh, more about the, the wine, uh, that there's a different timetable for everything in the in the Gospel of John. A weekend of encounters with Jesus, John points out Jesus to two of his disciples. They follow him, they spend the day with him. Later that day, one of them brings his brother Simon, which is Andrew, uh, brings uh, his brother Simon Peter to Jesus in verses 35 through 42 of John chapter 1. Philip and Nathaniel, they meet Jesus in verses 43 through 51 that covers that. And so first, this story teaches that Jesus endorses the celebration of life. Another thing this story teaches us is that Jesus cares about the problems of everyday life that every one of us are going through. So we pick up on Thursday that John the Baptist, again, he speaks to the delegation from Jerusalem about his ministry and he gives testimony. Friday, about himself and about Jesus. He publicly introduces Jesus, describes the events that took place at least 41 days earlier at the baptism in verses 29 through 34, and a weekend of encounters with Jesus as he points, John points out Jesus to two of his disciples. They follow him, spending the day with him. Later that day, one of them brings his brother Simon to Jesus in verses 35 and 42. Philip and Nathaniel meet Jesus in verses 43 through 51, and the specific days of the week are not mentioned in John's account but they suggest the practice among the Jews that that period of holding a wedding feast were always on Wednesdays. May not have been the case with the wedding feast of John 2, but virgins married on Wednesdays. And if you had been married, you're married on Thursdays. This is a Jewish tradition. I will get to the details a little bit later into this and talk about this. But right now, I'm just giving a brief introduction as we get into this. Remember here, every chapter in John, we're told the story and summarize of every event of the chapter through the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and there's 21 chapters in the book of John. Here in chapter 2 of the Bay, Alf, uh, uh was the first chapter that deals with creation. In chapter 2, the Bay, the symbol of blessing and creation duality and purity but what we're looking at now really actually this is uh uh this actually as we see this uh uh there is actually this needs to be changed i'm sorry actually that deals with house and it deals with uh temple in chapter two and so when jesus goes in to clean out the temple and he makes the cat of nine tails he cleans out all of the money changers. And that's exactly what the bay of chapter 2 deals with. The house, the temple. 
And so I had a typo there when I did creation and duality. But in this second one, the bay stands for house and temple, which goes hand in hand with the summarization of cleaning out the temple that Jesus got angry with the money changers and what was happening at the temple. Now, when we look at the time frames, John, as we see the late 60s of the difference of the time that he was written, and also the place that John, the Gospel of John, was written in Ephesus. And so uh, here, again, that he focuses on the Son of God, his deity. And so the difference in time frames of how John was written down, and we look and notice of the dates of the Gospel, of how that, that transpires. Uh, and so uh, the time frames are uh, a little bit different. But uh, John went on to do great things. He went on to be John the Revelator. He went on to write uh, the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And so, what was Ephesus known for in the Bible where John was written at? Ephesus had a population of 250,000, a uh, chief commercial city of the providence and a center of, of the mother goddess worship of the western part of Asia. And in the New Testament era, it was the fourth greatest city in the world after Rome. Alexandra in Egypt, Antioch in Syria, Ephesus was the gateway of Asia. And so we look and we see here the area of where it was. Of all the places of miracles that we look at, all the parables of the miracles of John and all the parables we see these seven signs in the Gospel of John as currently water in the wine, the healing of the nobleman's son, healing at the pool of Bethesda, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walks on water, healing of, of, uh, of the man, and uh, Lazarus raised from the dead. And so here we see uh, just these seven signs in the Gospel of John that John focuses on and points out the significance. Now, again, what is very powerful is of the duration of Christ's ministry that we look and realize that John alone notes the three Passovers of Christ's ministry. And here we see the first one that started out in April the 7th, eighty thirty, in John chapter 2. Verses 13 down to verse 23. Now, we won't get into this in this one because we're just going down to verse 12. But we'll get into it next time. Then, the third Passover that we see in April the 25th, AD 32 in John chapter 6 verse 4. And then later on in John chapter 11, that fourth Passover that John covers where all the synoptics notice of Passover 2. They are Mark chapter 2, Luke chapter 6, Matthew chapter 12. They only mention one Passover in the Synoptic Gospels, where John mentions three Passovers. I've been more specific in this illustration. I've even gave you dates and time frames that you can go back and look at. Now, when we look at the Word of God, let's open up with prayer. And I want to remember our pastor, Keith Dempsey, his brother, uh, his younger brother had passed away, and we want to lift him up for the time of grief that his family is going through out in Alabama, and we want to remember his family. And uh, church, please.
continue to gather around our pastor Keith and lift him up uh, as uh, this is uh, I know that uh, his brother is uh, where we want to be in in in, uh, in our with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ but uh, you know when we go through death this body and we deal with uh, the 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 loss of knowing that one of our family members that we've been around all of our life is no longer around us. It's devastating. And so we know that we'll meet one of ours that's that's a part of the family of God again in the future. But it doesn't make it easier when we go through this life knowing that we hurt and we ache in this body, knowing of all the pains that death brings into families. And so that loving family is like all other loving families. They are feeling the effect of that death. Pray for them. Remember uh, our uh, brother in Christ, our associate pastor, Rusty Lanier, as well with his knee, Sue Cantrell, Jesse Abernathy, Margin Richie Riley, Clemmy Jackson, Johnny Williams, James and Inez Griggs, Happy Ferguson, Kevin Cantrell, Martha Milligan, Linda and Snook Smith, Linda and Jimmy Ward, Rose Fowler, Doug and Nancy Wheeler, Kayla Bagley, Tina Bagley, Connie and Tim King, Tim Kinsley, Sandy Templeton, Keith and Tarbush, all of those. Continue remembering uh, Brian and more, the Brian and the more families where the death angels come into their families as well. Father, I, I send your blessings and Lord, your strength upon our church family where we've been affected so much by three different uh, I believe brothers across uh, the congregation at Bethel Crossroads where death has come in. Lord, for our longtime friend of the Cantrell family, Lord, I pray that you'll just wrap your loving arms around our families at Bethel Crossroads. Help them to get through this time that they're going through, how heavy their hearts are. And I pray, God, that you'll intervene, be the great physician that we need in all these areas of our life in our food pantry, in our uh, clothing ministry, Father, in all the many ministries, in our children's ministry, Father, that we, Lord, all of us at Bethel Crossroads are, Lord, are investing time, wisdom into our children, the future church of all of us. And I pray, God, for all of our families as we come together in unity and power under the Holy Spirit's uh, anointing that you would just go forth and continue to use our pastor greatly as he comes in and out before the flock. And Father, that we would always, Lord, take time out every day in your word, in prayer, as we lift up our pastor and every one of our members in our congregation, that Lord, that through your guidance of the Holy Spirit, hold our hands and keep us in check, keep us clean and pure, and keep us focused on the word of God. And may we apply, Lord, our prayers as we ask you to do what no one else can in this time. Hide us behind your cross and get us out of the way. And we're so thankful for those that attend, for those that come on Wednesday night, those that are in our children, those that prepare food, those that are teaching, and Lord, that are investing in young lives. Thank you so much for all the many that are contributing and giving to the ministry at Bethel Crossroads. May you receive all the glory and the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And so, 
we see the third day is believed to be that day after the calling of Philip and Nathaniel. Now, the word of God in John chapter 2 verse 1, it says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, you know what? It's very possible that this uh, was taking place on a Wednesday because Jewish law stated that a virgin was to be wedded on Wednesday and a widow on Thursday. The reason for this law, I told you, I'll tell you, was that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish judicial body, they sat in court twice a week. Now, I didn't say a lot of this uh, Wednesday night, but as I do my follow-up on this PowerPoint, they met on the second day, Monday, and on the fifth day, Thursday. And if there was a dispute among the virginity of a wife after the marriage was consummated physically, then the husband, he could uh, come before the Sanhedrin the next day and make his case. That's the days that were set up. The wedding was held in Cana, which was near uh, Nazareth, the home of Nathaniel, and also about 15 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were called to the wedding in this town. And the most important thing, that the couple that invites Jesus to their wedding and makes the Lord first in their home is very wise. Jesus needs to be in the center of all marriages. He needs to be in the center of your home. Make sure your wedding glorifies Christ. And put some clothes on the bride's uh, maids and the bride because I'm glad that when we look at the sensuality and the immodesty of, of a stylish world out there, I'm going to tell you something. Don't dishonor the Lord by serving a bunch of liquor at a reception. I did one here a while back, and you know what? I, I ain't happy about stuff like that. I, I, I mean, and you know what? That's their business. I take care of a, of a ceremony, but uh, I don't want to be a part of no drinking. I don't, I, I ain't never want to be a part of any drinking. And, and so, you know what? Uh, if you've got to entertain friends like that for your funeral or for a, a, a marriage, uh, you may, as I said just a while ago and got ahead of myself, you may be entertaining them for a funeral because they could leave after that and, and have a devastating accident and drinking and driving is never a good thing. But I want to tell you, don't dishonor the Lord by serving a bunch of liquor at your reception. But I'm going to tell you, there's a big difference in the days you say, well, he turned water into wine. Well, before you get married, make sure you marry a believer. Don't marry a Christian that's backslidden, that'll drag you down spiritually and get you out of church. Now, I'll tell you what, I, I didn't say this to uh, our Sunday, our, our Wednesday night class because I was preaching to the choir. But Facebook and all of the others out there, I'm going to preach to you. And I'm going to tell you the truth. And so, listen, be careful because there's, it's important that uh, the wedding of Jesus, uh, I'm glad that Jesus honored uh, them by being there and performing his very first wedding. And I'm glad that this was something that was very special because when we look at it, the heart of this miracle was to cause the disciples to believe in him. Jesus brought joy to a group of people at a wedding and it wasn't dazzling, it was a spectacular miracle that was witnessed by thousands of people. Instead, listen, it was a private miracle. In the Gospels, 
when we look at the total of 37 recorded miracles that are performed by Jesus, John recorded seven of them, or, you know, that we said earlier, uh, that we were looking at earlier. And uh, when we look at these disciples, maybe they were five or, or disciples at this time with Jesus. Canaan was, as we said, it's about nine miles from where Jesus grew up. People in Cana probably knew him. And one of his disciples, Nathaniel, was from Cana, as I said. And so, you know what? When we look at all of the things of looking at this miracle and what it does for all of us to be able to realize how powerful when Jesus began to take this water and it began to blush and all of a sudden a miracle where all of this water began to turn in some of the best wine that the, the, the governor of the feast had ever tasted. And, uh, and so we're reminded uh, that uh, it's a hard time believing the laws of nature could be superseded even by God himself. But we're talking about the creator that even created water. And being able to cause water to blush into wine was nothing for Jesus. And so here we see a, a tremendous blessing of that third day that we count down of Jesus's ministry since he started his ministry up. And so here in Canaan, as we look at our location, a marriage, a wedding, praise God. And so Jesus, his mother and his disciples were at that wedding. Cana is, again, about nine miles from where Jesus is now. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Now, you know what? I'm glad that Jesus was very social. Everything that Jesus did, uh, Jewish tradition required, as we said, as we look back at what uh, Jesus did, Jesus was the guest. Our Lord was not recluse as was John the Baptist. He accepted invitations to social events, even though his enemies used this practice to accuse him of things over in Luke chapter 15. But our Lord entered into the normal experiences of life. He sanctified them by his presence. Wise is the couple that invite Jesus to their wedding. And so he was accompanied by his mother and his disciples. And it was the addition of more people that helped create this crisis, but it was a small wedding feast. And it was the case that here we believe that uh, as all these friends will come together, the shortage of wine was related to a low budget feast where Jesus and his disciples invited because of Mary or because of Nathaniel. But I'm glad that our Lord was not yet well known and he had performed no miracles as of yet. And it was not likely that that he was invited because the people knew who he was. It was probably his relationship with Mary that brought about his invitation. And so we see, again, the heart of this miracle was to cause the disciples to believe in him because it was a private miracle. It was for the purpose of giving glory uh, to the Lord and also for those disciples to see this miraculous miracle that Jesus could do, that would be many, many more to come. And I'm glad when we look at John chapter two, verse three, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. Now, here was the concern of Jesus with that creative power, a catastrophic development that takes place at the wedding. A couple needed to be rescued. They've run out of wine. 
Wine was essential at the Jewish wedding. And if there was no wine, listen, there would be no joy, no hospitality. Was That was a sacred duty in the Middle East. To run out of provision was a huge humiliation. In the Middle East, a person could be fined if they did not adequately provide for their guest. It was believed that Mary is, is close to the bride or the groom because of her great concern about the problem. And there may have been relatives. Joseph is not mentioned. They believe that him to be dead by this time. And we find Mary bringing this problem to the Lord in hope of solving that problem. John refers to Mary as the mother of Jesus, but John never mentions Mary by name in his writings. To me, that is a very important point because if Mary was to be uh, defied or the object of our prayers, then why would John downplay her role? And the answer is she's not to be worshipped. She's not divine. All of the errors that other churches do when they try to worship Mary is unbiblical. You'll not find it anywhere. That is something that somebody's added to the scripture. And when you add to the scripture, you're a false because you don't add to the scripture. And so we know that when we look at uh, uh, this uh, Mary and how that Joseph uh, later on in John chapter six, that uh, they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I come down from heaven? You know what? Roman Catholics use this portion of scripture in John chapter two to justify Mary's intercession in heaven for sinners because she's interceding here. Notice the response of the Lord to her intercession because you know what? Here, when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said in him, they have no wine. And so since Jewish weddings feast lasted a week, it was necessary for the, the, the uh, groom to have adequate provisions for one thing, but also when the wine, whatever wine is left over, that wine would be given to the wedding couple as a gift for them to start out because they could sell the excess wine for the gift of a wedding gift. And so I'm glad that it was always embarrassing to run out of these things. And as it was a serious offense for something like this to happen. And so when we look and we realize that uh, as uh, the scripture goes on, there were as 37 recorded miracles performed by Jesus, the third day of Jesus' public ministry. But in verse four, Jesus said unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, that may sound bad, but because of the wording of that is as if an old country boy would tell his mother, ma'am, what do you want me to do for you, ma'am? And what the respect that, that is, is it's in the regard that she's a widow. She's no longer married to Joseph. Joseph has passed, according to the commentators, that this is the wording that really gives it away that Joseph is not around. And Jesus is fulfilling the place of the head of the household to take care of this. Now, there's no one that knew Jesus like Mary did. Because why? She carried him. Listen, she wasn't perfect, but she was perfect enough to be the virgin that would bring in the immaculate conception of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I know I don't beat up on Mary for the fact that we don't worship her, but she was chosen vessel to be the delivery of the immaculate conception that is the most powerful thing 
that sometimes I cannot even write, uh, wrap my mind around. But I'm going to tell you, when I say that, that when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, that John the Baptist in the wound of Elizabeth leaped through the Holy Spirit of the voice of Mary being that close. Mary knew that Jesus was filled and, and was uh, the Messiah, and she knew what he could do. And what she was asking him to do was not, uh, not nothing less or more than what he could do. But Jesus did not operate on the whim and authority of Mary. He has to operate on the will of God and only on the will of God. He can't do what he wants to do for everyone else. He's there to do the will of the Father, as he told them when he was a child, and they came back and found him, giving all the wisdom to all the physicians in the temple. And so, when you watch this, you'll see that the Holy Spirit, and through the direction of the will of God, gives him direction to go forward to perform and turn water into wine, so that it will give glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to be able to cause the disciples to believe in him for this wonderful miracle. And so it takes more faith uh, sometimes in, in, uh, when we look at things. But here, the Lord's not being rough or harsh, but here with respect, he, he says, Madam, our lady, uh, as uh, even as we look and realize that uh, what the Lord is saying here is uh, he offers it. Why are you getting me involved? What have we in common? And so, you know what? Sometimes we look and realize that Christ had nothing in common with Mary because he was the God-man and she was a sinner just like everyone else. But Christ was saying, listen, what authority do you have over me? There was only one voice that had authority for his ears, and that was the voice of God the Father. Jesus could not consent to her authority. He could not consent to her heavenly uh, He could. He could only consent to his heavenly father's authority. And that is why he called her woman instead of mother. Because the Lord said, my hour is not yet come. What hour is Jesus referring to? He refers to this hour. Seven times. John chapter 7 verse 30. John chapter 8 verse 20. John chapter 12 verses 23 and 27. John chapter 16 verse 32. And John chapter 17 verse 1. Seven times that he refers to this hour. And so the hour refers to the hour of humiliation and the hour of suffering. And so the hour of suffering will be the time when Jesus would be subject to man's will. He would be delivered into the hands of sinners. Uh, but until that hour uh, that we look and realize that out of all respect, his authority run on God the Father's authority. He consented only what the Father wanted him to do. And that was to be able to perform a miracle that would get the attention of the disciples. And so uh, the idea that Mary had to, be, uh, had to be prayed to in order for her to intercede for him to get uh, us something from Christ is unthought of. This teaching is not in the scriptures. Mary does not assume the role of intercessor, nor does she assume the role of mediator. This role belongs only to Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And there is only one mediator to God the Father. Amen. And so, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I make that very crystal clear. And so, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, 
My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so there is no one else but Jesus. You only come by the way of the cross. And so we see that as, again, that's used by Jesus six times. And so his will was that of the Father as regards to the spiritual things. Jesus was not there to do what his mother wanted, but to do what God wanted. And the Catholic Church needs to take a note of this. Amen. And so here we look and we see as, as we continue on all the, the places uh, that is using, for instance, uh, in four of those times that what do I have to do with you? It's used five other times in the New Testament. In four of those times, it is demons who say those words to Jesus when he's threatened to cast them out in the synoptics. The fifth instance is when Pilate's wife sends word to her husband to have nothing to do with that righteous man in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19. And in each instance, the speaker is essentially asking, why should we be involved in this? And so, in verse 5, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Here is the concern of Jesus' creative power. Because the fact that Mary has authority to command the servants shows her special place at this wedding. But notice her response to the Lord. Because she does not indicate an attitude of equality with God. She reveals her faith. She reveals her submission. And she points men to obey Jesus and not herself. And as long as Mary stood between sinners and the Lord, there would be no wine or provisions. But when she got out of the way, the Lord provided for them all and bless them, and we're prone sometimes to dictate to the Lord. Instead, we should obey him. Amen. And so whatsoever he saith unto you, do it, praise God. And so the Holy Spirit gave a revelation to Mary, and this was Mary's last words that she asked the servants to turn from her to Jesus. Again, I like to make that note. These are the very last words in the Bible that you'll ever hear the mother of Jesus say, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And so I'm glad there are four things that we look at at this portion of the containers and how that these turning water into wine was the first of John's seven signs and miracles providing Jesus's divinity. Now, when we see the word miracle, it's transformed into, into the word signs and it proves Jesus's divinity. The water jars were used for ritual purification, holding around 25 gallons, 27 to 28 gallons each, six in the biblical number of man, with one less than the perfection uh, of completeness of the Heavenly Father. And so, when we look at the four things that deals with, we see of these jars, the containers, the stone water pots, provided water for the washing for purification. The pots were mentioned, and they contained two to three firkins. A firkin was eight to nine gallons. Jars held in 16 to 27 gallons of water. Six water pots could hold around 100 to 160 to 180 gallons of water. And the water was used to cleanse dirty, dusty, muddy feet, hands before meals, between each course of the meals each day. In every Muslim mosque, the worshiper, before his devotions, is expected to inhale water through his nostril into his throat and spit the water out of his mouth three times. Now, if you've ever saw a movie, Antonio uh, Banderas was in a movie 
with the, the seventh something other, and when they're sending the water around, he does uh, that little thing with it because he has to be pure as well. And they'd already used all of that same water as an illustration of a movie. And so, uh, you know, the purification is a very serious thing, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Jewish, and the hands and the feet are washed three times in a washroom. Not only the container, but the command that Jesus commanded that the pots be filled and given to the governor of the feast. And the Lord could have filled the water pots himself, but he chose to involve these men in this miracle as much as possible. They could not turn the water into wine, but they could fill the pots. I'm glad I can fill some water pots myself, but I cannot perform the miracles that is needed on a daily basis. I can pray. I can pray for my pastor. I can pray for the needs of our church families. But I cannot perform the miracle. Only Jesus can do that. But all we need to do is our little part. And that is if we fill up the water jars with the water that we can do, then the Lord can take care of the rest. And when the Lord does miracles, praise God, I'm glad that he does not promote laziness nor irresponsibility. And he does not weaken the character of men. He strengthens men's character and he gives men the opportunity and the blessings to do the work. As we fill the pots, it may be hard work. But obedience leads to blessings. And they were to fill the pots to the top, to the brim. And it was 100%, praise God, that they did everything that they could do. The obedience is better than sacrifice. And so the filling of the, uh, of the pots to the brim enabled them to be the further future service and usefulness that they could do. Amen. And so the truth holds for us. Faithfulness and obedience to Christ leads to future opportunities to demonstrate our faithfulness and our love for Jesus and our greater responsibilities as well. God can't use you if your water pots are empty. God uses people who work hard. God uses people that are faithful and obedient. And many preachers today have nothing to share with their people because they have not taken the time to fill their water pots. You've got to fill that water pot. And they have not taken that time to study God's word. And you can't give out what you don't have. Get into the word and study the word. The wine was given to the governor of the feast. And the governor was the steward of the feast. He kept the feast organized. He commanded the servants. He made the feast to run smoothly. And the fact that Jesus turned the water uh, into uh, 100 to uh, 180 gallons of, of wine reminds us of the abundant blessings of God that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3. But when the Bible is translated, hallelujah, I'm glad every one of us can go forward. The comments of the governor was better than what was served first at the wedding, amen. And so I'm glad that it gets better with Jesus. I'd rather be a servant and know the source of the blessing than a governor and not know the source. The Christian has more insight what will happen over the next 30 years than an unsaved congressman of the United States of Congress of the United Nations because we're intact with the Holy Spirit of God and they're out there and we need leaders and we need political uh, leaders to run the government and we need them in the White House. But we know that Christ is coming again and we look forward to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy and we're reminded of the pattern uh, that we have uh, that each and every one of us that the world will offer its best first in order to hook us into its lifestyle but we must taste the bitter dreads of a sinful lifestyle and the path of this world leads downhill and it leads to darkness. A sinful life goes from bad to worse and what the Lord offers us gets better and better and the obedient Christian finds blessings after another. Even in suffering, Christ comforts. 
He encourages. He strengthens the believer by his Holy Spirit, by his grace. Hallelujah. The best is yet to come. And we have so much to look forward to. Uh, no matter what you see in Israel, no matter what, the steward, the steward, we're thrilled with the wine, the best wine, because good wine was not wine with a, a, a high uh, alcoholic intoxication content. It was naturally fermented wine that contains 9 to 18% alcohol. This kind of drink was referred to as a strong drink, but the wine that was sold in the stores today is strong drink. But this was basically because it's just like you go on to the television thing and you look at Michael J. Fox on Back to the Future and he, he goes in, he's in the Old West, and he said, give me a drink of water. They pour him a drink of water, and they some old dirty water in that thing, man. It's like filthy. Oh, God, he thinks, man, I can't drink this stuff. But those days, the protect against the parasites, to be able, they couldn't drink water. They had to drink water with diluted wine in order to have something to drink that would be able to be healthy for them. The wine would act as an antiseptic in the water, and it would bring the alcohol percentage down to about 2.25 to 2.75%. For a beverage to be classified as alcoholic today, it must have at least a 3.2% alcohol. And when the wine was mixed 20 parts water to one part wine, it would bring the alcoholic content down to almost zero. And that was the common practice in the Middle East. Good wine, or oinos, of the Greek word O-I-N-O-S, oinos, was very mild with little or no alcohol at all, and it was like grape juice. The fact that Jesus made water into wine, listen, it tells every one of us that as we look at it, uh, as uh, this was uh, needed at the, at the feast and what it was needed to provide for them at the time, amen. But I'm so glad that as we see this, that uh, the great blessing that they, the feast of the governor said, you normally serve the best first, but you have waited and brought the best last. And so every one of us, when we look and realize that uh, the wine that we saw at this feast began to bring joy uh, to that family. And uh, I'm glad that uh, every one of us, when we look and realize that these what containers, uh, these jars, they stood for the outward cleansing that was required by Jewish law. Jesus changed it into wine for inward assimilation. Christ came to clean up man on the inside and what the law could not do, grace could do. Moses' first miracle was the turning of water into blood, a reminder of death. The law brought death because no one could keep the law. Death or sacrifice was required. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Listen, a symbol of life. The grace of God brings, us, brings life to us. The empty pots remind us of men without the Lord. Men who are empty, cold, spiritually lifeless, and they're useless. Christ fills men with his spirit. He gives life. And Jesus brings fullness when there's emptiness. And he gives joy when there's disappointment. And as the wine was abundant, God's grace and provisions are abundant as well. Nothing's too big for God to accomplish. And nothing's too small for him to use in accomplishing it. And so, again, when we look at the teaching of wine and what it means, 
uh, for us. I didn't leave it up that much because I basically said it a while ago, but I had a slide up that broke down and told you exactly what I said. Mary knew Jesus was the Son of God conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she remembered uh, all of that. And so wine was the symbol of joy. And so we look back and how at the birth of Jesus, Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together, uh, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So she knew what Jesus was capable of. She knew the power that indwelt him. And so I'm glad that even as uh, everything that began to transpire, we see that uh, the wine that maketh glad the heart of man and oil to make his face to shine and bread which strengthens man's heart in Psalms 104 verse 15. Here, the miracle of the wine, the four things that we see uh, again that begins to talk about that. There was the, uh, as verse six, and there were set, and there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. I've already talked about this. I've already told you what they stand for. Amen. As the number of man that we always fall short of the perfection uh, represented by seven. Remember, you need to have a full pot. You need to get in the word of God. And as we look at the size of these, and we realize that Jesus began to bring joy to the wedding feast. I'm glad again when I was in Israel that I looked down from my hotel room and saw a Jewish wedding that was taking place. And what they had the uh, prayer shawl covering over of a canopy that they stood under to take their vows from the rabbi as they began to say those vows together under the presence of the prayer shawl canopy that they said their vows to each other. Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. I'm glad each and every one of us are given a great blessing uh, to be able to provide uh, these things because here we see that Jesus, the host, as he performs this miracle and this beginning of miracles, amen, we begin to realize that he used and emphasized a great power because he was the creator of life. He created water and he could take water and change it into wine that it would blush. And so as we look and realize that Jesus, as he's always at the center of your marriage, always at the center in your life and everything, as he began to do this, as he addressed Mary, and as he began to do what he could based on the will of the Father to please him, that this would transpire, that this would take place, of what we look and realize uh, only... As whatever Jesus tells you to do, you do it. And so here, she said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. As I've already mentioned this. And how that he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And said unto him, Every man at the beginning do set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. I'm glad that when we look and realize that what the Lord does 
he says, verse 11, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifest forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Remember that. That was the sole reason for turning the water into wine because he manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Boy, if that isn't powerful. Every one of us, when we look and we realize what the Lord wants to do, John wanted us to know two things. That Jesus, this was his first miracle. And it's and it was on the faith of these disciples who were following Jesus that he based it that they would have a greater belief. The Bible doesn't say anything about wine. It does say the medicinal purposes of 1 Timothy 5.23. But the rules for doing things that are considered in gray areas, I'm going to talk about those in just a minute. And I'm glad that as we do, what are three things that this story teaches us to do? Get ready to take every problem to Jesus. Every aspect demonstrates a problem. And you know what? When we try to solve our problems in our own power, you know what? We're going to get in a bad situation. We're going to be in a crisis. When you apply the power of Jesus to your problems, you'll experience increase in every area. An increase of new wine with Jesus. The new wine is always better than the old wine. What he does for you is better than what you can do for yourself. And I'm glad that every one of us, as we go through life today, we can experience those things. Get ready to take every problem to Jesus in verses 1 through 4. Amen. And so, secondly, get ready to do what he tells you to do. Because if we'll do what Jesus tells us to do, amen, we will receive the greatest blessing. And so I'm glad that more than enough, as we look at what he does, we see that Jesus blesses the wedding with a gift of turning water into wine. And you may see a miracle within minutes and you may uh, look at a process of time that sometimes Jesus is not at our beck and call. He may answer your prayers. He may feel uh, the water that's in your pot in, uh, and change it into wine when it's the appropriate time for you. Sometimes we don't know when that is. But lastly, get ready to experience increase on every level in verses 9 through 11. Because whatever Jesus does, when the wine runs out, you tell it to Jesus and then do what he asked you to do. You may see a miracle or you may see it later on, but it will come because Jesus, the one who created heaven and earth, the eternal God, he cares about you, even the insignificant problems. He's not the author of all that goes wrong in your life, but he's the one who's ready to make it right. Amen. And so, as after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother, his brethren, and his disciples, and they continued there not many days, getting ready to go into Jerusalem. Because Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover. And he was, and he visited the temple. He didn't like what he saw. We're going to get into that next time. But as I get ready uh, to close out, as we look at Capernaum and where everything is, the gray areas, don't do anything that will put you under its control. Don't get intoxicated where you lose control and don't know what you do. And then you could run over somebody and kill them. You could do a many of things that could happen and go wrong. All things 
are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, don't do anything that will put you under its control. These are great areas that you're going to run into. Secondly, don't do anything that will not edify your life. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, uh, uh, but things uh, edify not. And so I'm glad that each and every one of us, as we get ready, I say again that the kind of action that Jesus took at the temple will most probably never be necessary. But I invite you uh, to invite that intentionally left out a co-worker in your group or to reach out in some way to a family in your neighborhood or to get involved in a ministry that is doing the kind of good work that uh, you know needs to be done. Have compassion for others. Help those ones. I say again, the kind of drastic action that Jesus took at the temple will most probably never be necessary for you and me. We'll get into this next time. Amen. But as I close out, I'm reminded that back in March 2004, a dozen of rescuers were looking for 39 Boy Scouts and their leaders trapped by tons of snow. An avalanche in the high country of Utah's Logan Canyon had covered the scouts and 64 mile an hour winds made rescues extremely difficult. As I close out, the trapped scouts slept comfortably through the entire ordeal. They didn't even know they were in danger. They didn't even know they were trapped. They didn't know the avalanche had caved in on the cave where they were in. They were snug as a bug, sleeping up a storm. The group had uh, carved caves deep into the snow, bunkering in for the night. When the avalanche occurred around 4 a.m., the sleepers inside had no idea that they were buried under six to eight feet of snow. The snow caves insulated the group from sound, wind, and knowledge that they were even in trouble. You know what? They were cozy inside. But you know what? Thankfully, two of the scout leaders were sleeping in a nearby trailer. They heard the storm, the avalanche, and they called for 911. And that probably made a quite a bit of noise, imagining. And so uh, as they got there, the rescue team, to rescue these 39 scouts that were trapped, and as they began to probe into the snow to let them know that they were in danger, uh, and they began to rescue all of them out of harm's way. They had been rescued and didn't even know that they were in danger. Well, one of the most famous stories that we talked about here this Wednesday night involved a young couple that needed a rescue at a wedding. They had no idea that a rescue was called for. While they enjoyed the afterglow of their wedding ceremony, Jesus was organizing a rescue party for their reception. I hope and pray that you realize that God wants to do something to rescue you. You may not even know how bad off it is, but I'm going to tell you something. Every one of us, as we look and realize that a girl named Tina that volunteered with a mission group from Kentucky, they traveled to Asia and they used sports as a tool to get into some of the nations that were not open to the gospel. And after a basketball game, Tina and her teammates were sitting around talking with some of the players from the opposing team. Tina began to tell one of the other players about her closest friend who was always with her, a man named Jesus. 
The Asian girl looked around at all the people with Tina's group and asked innocently, which one is Jesus? Where's he at? There's only one Jesus. You may see him as confrontation or you may see him as confusing. But in reality is that you have not really seen him and you do not really know him until you see him as convincing. He died for our sins and he rose from the dead. The third day, just as he said he would, I asked you, listen, as I close out, do you know Jesus Christ? He's the one that created heaven and earth, the eternal God. He cares about you, even your insignificant problems. They're significant to him. And he's not the author of all that goes wrong in your life, but he's the one that's ready to make it right. When the wine runs out, tell it to Jesus and then do what he asked you to do. You may see a miracle within a few minutes. It may take a process of time. When you take your troubles, when you follow Jesus's lead, you will always experience a significant increase in every area and quality of your life. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving us your gospel and Lord of your deity and divinity that you are the Savior that took all of the sins of the world upon your shoulders. And you did for us what no one else could ever do. You saved us by your marvelous grace and you shed your life blood willingly to pay the ultimate sacrifice for a price that we could not pay for ourselves. You paid to higher price. Thank you so much for doing that for us, that we send your word out to the many in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you.